Coming up on this episode, author Dominic Lim talks to us about his debut novel, All the Right Notes. Welcome to episode 427 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of queer romance fiction. I'm Jeff, and with me as always, of course, is my co-host and husband, Will. Hello, Rainbow Romance reader. We are so glad that you could join us for another Pride Month episode. How has your summer been so far? I've been reading a lot and watching probably way too much TV, but I've enjoyed both of these things. (laughs) Well, you're definitely right. There's a lot to look forward to this summer season with queer programming like Heartstoppers coming up, that's just around the corner, and also Amazon's adaptation of Red, White, and Royal Blue, that's coming up later in the summer as well. Mm. Those drop within days of each other. I can just imagine just being planted in front of the TV for probably about a week. And while we're eagerly anticipating those, we've also been watching some other queer-centric programming, one of which is the Netflix show Fake Profile. And in this one, Camilla is a Vegas dancer who begins a passionate long-distance relationship with a guy. And one day on a whim, she decides to surprise him. So she flies down to Cartagena and discovers that he is not who he says he is. So what does she do? She moves it next door to exact her revenge. That's what she does. As one does, you know. (laughs) And that's when things are really starting to get crazy. There is so much drama to be had in this Netflix sexual thriller. And some of those crazy plot twists involve a restaurateur named Adrian who is falling in love with a flirtatious employee named Inti, while he is also engaged to a sort of nice guy named Chris. Now, I just called this show a sexual thriller, but I was wondering, I was thinking, is there an actual name for this specific type of Netflix show? And you all know what I'm talking about because we've all watched them. (laughs) I mean, in the strictest sense, they're probably telenovelas but with like the sex and violence cranked up to 11 with outrageous sexy plots that to my mind because of my age they like call back several decades to the heyday of basic instinct Mm -hmm. and all those direct-to-video movies that followed it's like you couldn't like throw a stick without hitting a sexual thriller they were absolutely everywhere and that's what these shows remind me of But that's kind of a generational thing. I don't know what we would call them now. I certainly agree. I think I said to you early on when she first went down to Cartagena, I'm like, she's going to go boil his bunny rabbit (laughs) in a direct reference to Fatal Attraction, (laughs) which of course has just been revived as a series (laughs) on Paramount+. Plus. (laughs) (laughs) But this show was just insane. It just kept ratcheting up the insanity that these people would go to to extract their revenge and all the machinations that were going on while also living in one of the most gorgeous surroundings I've ever seen. I enjoyed a lot about this show and just, you know, you often say I try to overthink plots and what I think people should do. I just let it go with this one. I'm like, I can't figure this out. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to let it happen and love every minute of it. Yeah. All three actors that are involved in the gay menage plotline are pretty ridiculously hot if you need a real reason to tune in (laughs) and there is a really out of left field shocking reveal in the final episode that means that three of them i mean probably aren't going to have a happy ever after although in my personal head canon i think their hea is totally a thing it's possible i'm good with that (laughs) (laughs) anyway you can binge all 10 episodes of fake profile right now on netflix buckle up and get some popcorn It is a crazy ride. 
Now, I'm so excited for this episode's interview. I first heard about Dominic Lim's All the Right Notes because it was recommended by author Karelia Stetz Waters when she was on Smart Podcast Trashy Books back in April. I immediately got myself an advanced copy, devoured it in a matter of days, and then set about getting Dominic on the show. All the Right Notes is an incredibly excellent second chance, friends to almost lovers to enemies to lovers romance that absolutely blew me away. Dominic's going to tell us all about how he came to write this story and why it's so important to him. There's also a fair amount of musical theater fanboying that goes on in here, which includes how the narrator for this audiobook was found. And of course, since it's Pride Month, Dominic's going to share what Pride means to him this year. Dominic, welcome to the podcast. It is awesome to have you here. It's great to be here. Congratulations on Thank all the so right much. notes. Yeah. <laughs> This is one of the few books that as soon as I finished reading it, I actually hopped on your website like, Dominic, can you come on the show and talk about this? <laughs> I loved it so much. Thank you. This is your debut. So kind of before we get into the book itself, I'd love yeah. for our listeners to know a little more about you. You're, you're an actor, a singer, a writer, a composer. <laughs> what led you to a full-length romance? Yeah, it's kind of a long route. I I am a writer last, actually. I am, by education, a, a musician. I went to Oberlin College, and I, I was a double degree in psychology, which I've never used except for my personal relationships. And I was a voice major in the Conservatory of Music. And I didn't do anything with that. It was a, it was a classical degree. So I actually moved to New York, and I did musical theater. So I was doing acting and stuff like that. And I was also singing in churches. And and then I went back to grad school to get my graduate degree in music and kind of hit like a period where I, I had no idea what I was doing with my life. And music was not really working out for me and acting was not really working out for me. So I, I just kind of picked up writing. I've always enjoyed writing as a hobby. And I started taking classes and I started getting more serious and I started getting more good feedback and support. And one thing led to another. And here I am with a finished published book. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Had you read a lot of romance before you decided to take off and write one? So I hadn't because I, I'd read a lot of as much as possible when I was growing up. I'd read a, as much gay fiction as I could possibly get my hands on. But you know as well as I do that a lot of that gay fiction does not have happy endings, or there's a lot of stuff that's based on, that's heavy, heavier stuff. But I've also been a fan of rom-coms, like movies, rom-com movies. So I've, I've watched like a million of those. So when I was writing this book, I it actually started out very serious. It was It was a short story that was pretty sad. And when I started sort of filling it out for this class that I was taking with Rachel Heron, it ended up being way more funny and light. And I, I think it's because I, I wanted to really infuse who I was in that story and I hadn't before. And who I am is just kind of a weird, dorky musical person. So that's what I put in the book. I mean, that book is me, honestly. If you've read the book, you kind of know me. <laughs> I wondered if that was true. Like, I was kind of wondering how much Keto was actually you, especially given your background and some of the overlaps in the background. Yeah. I mean, I think just like any other author, he, the, the, the main protagonist is a lot of me, but it's also a lot of my brother because he's a music teacher and a choir director. 
And it's a lot of, I, I've had the great honor of knowing a lot of pianist slash composers in my life. Uh, I've dated a couple. So it's a lot of them in, in this character, their struggles and their, their creative struggles and stuff like that. So yeah, but a lot of it's me. I mean, let, you know, let's, let's face it. <laughs> so with the basis of, of Keto in you, where did Emmett come from? Totally made up. Yeah. <laughs> that's that was my fantasy life. That that's I mean I am married and I I'd rather be with my husband Peter than Emmett Aoki any day, but he, he's totally made up. <laughs> it's kind of weird because for me Emmett I kept for whatever reason imagining Henry Golding. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yep. He is exactly that prototype Henry Golding. Yeah, all of these super hot like Asian actors that are just starting to become popular. That's really a recent thing. When I was growing up, we didn't have that kind of sex symbol at all. I mean, they weren't even really there. I mean, I think probably the the most famous Asian actor that I can remember growing up was really Jackie Chan and certainly not romantic leads. So yeah, I think it's the, the book, The this character is kind of hitting at the right time because that's in the zeitgeist now. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say probably Crazy Rich Asians, of course, was yeah. like the pivot point on in cinema for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you saw Fire Island on Hulu last year, oh, yeah. here, but adored yeah. that movie so hard. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. would I would just love to see more of that because that movie yeah. was so perfect. I think I've watched it like half a dozen times oh. since it came out. Yeah. It's so good. And the thing is, it's like, and that's kind of the one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because, first of all, I wanted to write a book where queer Asian men find joy. But I also wanted to write a book where queer Asian men are sexy and they are they are the object of 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 someone's like adoration and 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 hot. And that that that's Emmett in a nutshell. So that's big reason why I wrote this book actually and created that character. Yeah. I love every time you write Emmett coming into a room, whether it's the <laughs> piano bar or the choir room or wherever Emmett's coming in, it's like uh -huh. zip, everybody's kind of right over there looking at him. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I would imagine myself if Henry Golding ever walked into a room. That's what would happen. So, <laughs> What inspired the specific story you're telling in All the Right Notes for what happens to these characters? And I don't want to give away any spoilers in the book, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on around them that's very important and informs, mm -hmm. you know, what's happening for them. Where did all this come from for you? I knew that I wanted to write it. Well, the 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 genesis, I, as I mentioned, was a short story that was a lot more serious, and it was about a couple who get separated by a tragedy. And this, I I wanted to keep that element where this couple gets together early on in life, but then are separated, but not by a tragedy. So that's, there is that incident and I won't give it away, but where they, they sort of split up and there's a misunderstanding. And, and then I wanted them to get back together again, but in my head, I was, I, was, I don't know, some people may envision when they write a book, they want it to be a movie or they envision. In fact, when Rachel was teaching the class, a lot of it was based on screenwriting and, and sort of the beats of a movie, right? And so I did not do that per se, but the way that I envisioned my book was as a musical, actually. So there are di diegetic scenes where they're singing and it's all part of the, 
the story. And I knew that the finale had to be like a big musical finale, something. So I came up with a choir concert and I think it just kind of went from there, went backwards from there. So, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely musical beats that happen yeah. within this book. As a huge fan of musicals, I could kind of see where you were going. It's like, mm-hmm, that would be a song. This would be a book <laughs> right. moment. Here's the duet. Here's the 11 o'clock. Right. Well, yeah, let's talk about the 11 o'clock for a little second, because there is an 11 o'clock song there in is. this book that yeah. you wrote. You actually wrote a part I play, which yeah. isn't just lyrics in the printed in the book. We can uh -huh. all go watch a video of it on YouTube, which we'll link to in our show notes. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Where did that come from? I mean, yeah. I've seen like authors write lyrics before because you can't, it's hard to put a lyric in a book, but yeah. now you've written your own. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I do want to be clear. I, I, I co-wrote the song, so I, I did write the lyrics and a little bit of the music, but I think the, the biggest music writing was from a, a very close friend of mine who was a pianist composer. So we collaborated on it. We co-wrote it together. But the genesis of that song really was as I was writing, there is this, like a musical, there's this theme, right? That keeps coming back. Like you keep hearing it, like Phantom of the Opera or whatever. So I, I, I knew I had to have that kind of song and it's a part I play. And the lyrics were very important, but they became so important to me that I I, I needed to know what it sounded like. And it's it's just as you said, there a lot of books have these lyrics, these original lyrics in them. But when you read them, they don't, I, I don't know, to me, I, I don't get that much out of just written lyrics, right? It's missing that component. So I needed to add that component. And I, I approached a friend of mine who I've known for a while, and we wrote this and I said, I want it to sound like this. I have some basic music ideas. Here are the lyrics. He pounded something out. I changed a couple things. He changed a couple lyrics, and it came into being. And then we—it was this. This was during the pandemic, so we recorded it completely separately. I was in a closet, and he was in his apartment, and we just—he mixed the two things together and put it on YouTube, and and now it's there for. And the thing is, the great thing is, it's gonna be—it's gonna be in the audiobook because the narrator is a singer, and he's gonna be—I'm not exactly sure, but he's gonna be singing it. And I think they're going to put the the thing that I recorded on the at the end, like as an appendix or something like that. Oh, bonus track. Yeah, as a bonus track. Yeah. yeah I was but... wondering if if you were going to get it sung in the audiobook because your narrator yeah. is Aaron Albano, who I mean, yes. recently has been in Hamilton on Broadway. Yes. So you've got huge talent coming for the audiobook here. <laughs> so it's really awesome that he's going to be singing the song too. I am so psyched. I'm so stoked. And I, he would send me little snippets of what he's he was doing, and I was just like, oh god. The funny thing is, he's not. This is his first audiobook. There's this. It's a funny story because the producer emailed me and said, oh, here are your your two auditionees. Right. One is. <laughs> One is this guy, his, his resume is like 10 pages long. He's won like a million Audis. He was, and yeah, people are going to know, but he he was the narrator for like one of the most famous queer rom-com, rom romances of all time. And then there's Aaron who had never done anything, but they sort of found him and they asked him to audition. And he, he did this nice little audition and they said, and also he knows you and he did. We had done Miss Saigon together like 20 years ago. And we were still Facebook friends. And I sort of followed his career on Broadway. And 
he's done a, he was in the original cast of Newsies. He was one of those dancing boys and yeah, he, he understudies King George on, on Broadway. And it's just, the producer said, there's something about this, this kid. He's not a kid. He's like kind of my age. And it, it's just, he's, he's got this natural thing and he sings. And I was like, I know he's a really good singer. So he can end up singing the lines in the book as they come across. So yeah, it was, it, It, it was kind of a hard decision, but it really wasn't a hard decision. I mean, we definitely went with Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's already pre-ordered for me because even though I've read it, mm -hmm. I want to hear it performed. And the yeah. fact that you've got somebody of this caliber yeah. and this background doing it, I think is just going to make it, you know, that much more. Oh, trust me. I've heard some of it. You're not going to be disappointed. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Because we're recording here like two or three weeks before the book comes out. So we're still waiting mode for the audio. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been loving Aaron's like Instagram snippets from the studio sometimes though, because you'll get little pieces of him in the studio. Yeah. Working It's on it. So cool, isn't it? It's just, I was there actually, I was in New York. I live in Oakland, California. And I was there in December and they gave my, I went to go visit my editor Alex Logan and my publicist, Stel Halleck at Forever. And they gave me a tour of the building and no one was there because it was, I was during, it was Friday and no one's there on Fridays, but they showed me the studio and it's this really cool that the Hachette studios. And they said, this is where your audio book's going to happen. And, and in the beginning, I actually had thought to myself, I want to audition for this book. It's like, I have some acting skills and I've got kind of a voice, but when I found out about how long it actually takes to record these things, oh no, mm -mm, girl, <laughs> leave it to the pros. <laughs> yeah, it is not, it's not for the faint of heart to no, spend that no kind joke. of time on it. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, they weren't really sure about Aaron because he, he's in, he's in Hamilton. So that's, that's a big gig. So, but they, they made it work. Thank God. That's awesome. Yeah. This is a second chance romance. And mm -hmm. sometimes in second chance, you don't always get a full understanding of what happened the first time. Right. It, it might just be something in passing that somebody quips about, or maybe there's a little bit more discussion between the characters about what happened. You give us really everything. So there's like twin stories running here of what was in the past that led to the break. Yeah. And what's happening now. And I thought you handled that so well because sometimes when you're going to the past it could feel like okay well why did you pause the story that i'm reading to go yeah. back here and somehow you made it work that i didn't feel like back to let's go back to where we're supposed to be <laughs> what kind of steps did you take to kind of make that back and forth transition work like it does yeah first of all i have to make i have to i have to make a confession i When when you when you're taking writing classes or whatever when you're studying writing, they always say when you do flashback, I mean just just enough, right? And it's always like I've always been, I've always had that in my head, just enough, just enough. And I started writing the story. I was like, but I can't. Like, there's so much good stuff in the. So I mean, I I basically took the coward's way out, and I basically wrote the entire backstory, and I included it, just like you said, and. I, Uh, to me, the way that I organized it was uh, I knew both of them had to have arcs. They had to both have the, the story arc and they both had to reach the climax sort of at the same time. And then I just, I wanted to alternate basically one then, now, then, now. And I wanted to join them 
at the end of a chapter, I wanted it to sort of hand off either back in time or to the present time so that it didn't feel like it was just so interruptive. So there are these kind of joins, like at the end of a chapter, if it says that Kito's look, not looking at his father on the phone, the next in the next chapter, he is looking at his father or, or stuff like that. So mm -hmm. people, most people aren't even aware of it. I've, I've only had one person point that out to me. But I think that did help because it is jarring to have this whole other story. And uh, yeah, like you said, you, you want to just stay in the present. So it was, it was incum incumbent on me to make sure that both stories were equally engaging. And I, 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 think, I think most people have told me that I, I accomplished that. Yeah. And even as I was kind of reading this, I was kind of wondering too, if like shows like This Is Us don't get us a little more mm. adjusted to present past time jumps and even the movie everything everywhere all at once which i probably mm -hmm. just butchered the title on no. also with all the like jumping about yeah uh, and connecting yeah. it all together yeah yeah i mean i i, I did pay I, I did try to pay attention to that because i knew there would be complaints about it and i did i i did get when i was carrying agents i definitely had some people who were interested but they said we can't i just can't wrap my head around this dual timeline thing. So it's not for everyone. It, it's mm. not. But I think I think most people enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because again, it's just it's done right. It's done the right way to do it. Thank so you. <laughs> <laughs> at least as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. Uh, we got to talk a little bit about a couple of your side characters here. Ujim is the best. <laughs> <laughs> Such an incredible friend to Keto. Yeah. But also gives him a good kick in the pants sometimes too. Yes. Yes. What's your influence there? I mean, I can only imagine, in, especially living in New York, that you could have met many Ujimas over time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so I here's the real tea. I will, I will tell you. So, uh, Jima is based on two people actually. One of them, her name is Brianna Sinclair. She's a she's an opera. She's a soprano opera singer, and she's she's trans. And I had the honor of working with her at a church in San Francisco, and she's she's amazing. But most of it is based on someone that I knew in New York who was on RuPaul's Drag Race, and they no longer do drag, which is why I've been hesitant to talk about them, because I know that he is he sort of wants to put that in the past and focus on his act, and he has a very, very successful acting career in New York and elsewhere. So, but I did meet him doing a show in Brooklyn, just like Kito does. And he, I was also very taken by the first time that I saw him in drag in, in a club. And it was kind of this, it was this kind of confusing moment for me where I was just so enamored with this person and I wasn't quite sure was it because of him or was it because of the drag persona? But I, in the end, it was I, I realized it was a combination of both, that there is just this power. And he is so funny. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met. So it, 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 Eugene is really based on him because of that humor and that, that love and that ability to perform. Just So I wanted to sort of pay homage to, to him. It's a beautiful homage. Thank you. Um, the other character that really stole my heart was Milton, who is one of the kids who's in the choir room. Uh-huh. 
Milton's story is so tiny, but so powerful, and especially how Milton and Ujima connect. Mm-hmm. What was your process to like weave that kind of in there alongside what was going on with the bigger story with Kito and Emmett? Because there's a lot of these little things that pop up in the threads that just all really coalesce so well by the end of the book. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, as most minor characters tend to do, he was in the beginning really just a, a, a plot. He needed, I needed some, I needed some sort of present day representation for Mr. Cruz to sort of make him remember Quito. Or, I mean, not that he's forgotten his own son, but, you know, sort of like, oh, there's this kid in my class. He's special. That's what Mr. Coase calls him special. And uh, it makes him think of his own son because he was kind of the same in choir when his son was growing up. And that sort of, and to me, it's not obvious in the book, but to me, that's, it's, that is the trigger for him to, to reach back out to Quito to get him mm. involved with this choir concert because it is because of Milton. And the second reason why I created Milton is because he's actually a, a little bit of me in a weird way because I studied I studied early music in grad school and I was a countertenor. And for those of you who don't know, a, a countertenor is is a male who sings in the female register. And so I did that for a few years and it's it's not easy and it's it's not easy for young men when they're starting to sing to realize that their actual natural voice is this other higher female voice. And so that also intersects and and 99% of all countertenors are, are gay. So this also intersects with their senses of identity and gender. And to me, Milton sort of represented those things. So I was interested in exploring them. And he's also this cute little kid, right? That kind of needs saving, which Eugenia sort of does towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. They, the, their conversation in particular just like really pulled on my heartstrings and, and people will know it when they get to it. We talked a little bit about the fact that you've got this 11 o'clock song in the book, but mm -hmm. much like that, this is also kind of a musical in its own little way. Music is so infused here with seeing how it's being taught both in the past and how it's represented you know, when, when Quito and Emmett are still in high school to how Quito's working on a off-Broadway show for a while, the choir stuff that Quito gets involved in when he goes home. you And you've created whole programs that are in the book. We get the program <laughs> to this, I don't even know how to describe what Wonderland is. <laughs> Right. But I really want to see it. Right. Uh, well, there's a you... funny story about Wonderland, actually. Can I tell you? Oh, do tell. Yeah. So as I was writing the book, I wanted there to be sort of a comedic scene where they go to a show and Ojima's in it. And I was like, okay, I, I need to make up this this off-Broadway thing. And I want it to be interactive because people, like some people really hate interactive theater. So My um, husband is one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, no, I am not. That is your job. I'm not getting involved in that. So I I wanted to do this interactive show and I was in an interac interactive off-Broadway show. And so I have some background on it. So I, I, I was at the first thing I did was I made a show based on Britney Spears songs. 
And, and then, now there is one. And now there is one. And then six months later, as I was revising, I, I looked online and it's like, oh, someone's made it already. So I was trying to find I was trying to find someone's catalog that like no one would ever touch, but they're touching it. So I was like, how can I make sure that no one is gonna touch this person's catalog? And I was like, well, why don't I just make one hit wonders? Because I don't think anyone's gonna touch any of those. So so far, so good. I mean, they haven't come out with that. It only exists in my book. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, back to your question. I um, love that about Wonderland. I kept thinking about the 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 show Disaster and how it relied on so many, <laughs> so many like songs that like you knew, but then put into these very bizarre way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried to have fun with that. And you put the whole program for it. Like now we know all the songs that are in Wonderland, which yeah, I absolutely love. And then yeah. you also built the program for the choir. I um, did. Yeah. Concert at the end. So we know that entire program as well. We could make our own Spotify playlist to some of these yes. songs. Yes, if you want. I, I think I think I did. I tried to. I don't know if it's on there publicly, but just for me, it's there because same thing with when I was writing the song, right? I, I couldn't just have this thing that was so important. And I know no one's going to see it. I knew no one was going to see. I knew I wasn't going to walk through the whole entire concert, the whole entire show. But I wanted those things to exist for me. So they did. And so why not share them with everyone else mm -hmm. at the end? Yeah. Looking back on this journey you've had with this book, how would you characterize like writing your first romance? It's been amazing. I The funny thing is I didn't even know I had written a romance until I started querying it, to be honest. I just wrote what I wanted, to, to, a story that I wanted to tell. And as I started putting together my querying materials, I was like, well, I need to have comps and I need to sort of explain what it is. And then I was like, this is a rom, this is a romance. This is a rom-com. It has a happy ending. So it's been amazing because the romance... Got, I'm sure you're aware, but the romance community is incredibly supportive and mm -hmm. supportive and loving and energetic. And I mean, they, and also romance writers write a lot. This is what I'm learning. Yeah. I have another book coming out next year that I have to churn away, but it's been fantastic really mainly because of the the people at forever, which is the imprint that's mostly romance and women's fiction and the the fans and the early reviewers who are focused on romance have just been fantastic. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm lucky I lucked into this. Genre. It's hard to find a better community to be oh in. Oh my god. Yeah, really. I'm really. I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Because it's based on love. It's based on love and joy, and people just want to. And that's why I wrote this book too, because I wanted to just step back away from the pandemic and everything else, and just have a little nugget of queer brown joy on the shelf <laughs> and you need it even more now with oh the, the state of the world that we live in it's it's all the more needed that queer people find their joy wherever they can get it including seeing themselves in books yeah it's true i mean i thought that when i was writing this book this was around when he who shall not be named was president I was like, well, this is the this is the worst it's ever going to get, and so people are going to need some joy now. But maybe later they won't. No, no, things have some other things have taken that guy's place. So mm -hmm. you're going to get a big dose of the romance community too, because you're off to Steamy LitCon in August. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I got invited to that. They were so kind. They were so kind to reach out to me. I, my book would had was months away from being published. They probably had not. They had not seen the arc or anything, but they knew of me from forever. So they invited me, and yeah, I'm really excited about that. There's going to be a lot of authors from my my imprint there, so it's going to be a party. I'm so. <laughs> Do you have a favorite scene in the book that you could share without spoiling? I have a favorite scene. Oh, that's a good question. I I, I don't want to give it away, but it is the it is the scene where you find out what went wrong in college mm. that night. Yeah, because and not just that, but also the day after when things really hit the fan. I had a lot of fun constructing that whole entire sequence of events. Because I was kind of playing with perception and sort of memory. I, I'm I'm a big fan of writing about memory. Well, oh, there's my psychology degree coming into play right there. <laughs> you Yay, have made use of it. it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm a big fan of memory, and so memory comes into play here because one person has remembered things one way, and one person has remembered it another, and and one of it is a little bit more of the truth, right? Because that person was not as inebriated. So, and other stuff. So, yeah, that to me, and maybe especially what happens after when uh, Kito's sort of running around trying to figure out what's going on with everything, That's that was probably my favorite scene to write. People will definitely know that when they come to it. And They'll know. So you hinted at another book coming out next year. What can you maybe tell us a little bit about? Yeah, it is, gosh, talk about topical it is about a drag queen who tries to invigorate a karaoke bar. And so when I pitched it, oh, let me tell you a story. Okay. So this is what happened <laughs> got my book, when I got my book deal. I was on vacation with Peter, who's my husband at the time was my fiance. And we were in Monterey. It was like, it was just when things were starting to open up. So it was our first time like out of the house or anything. So we went to Monterey got a hotel. And while I was there, I got this call from my agent that said, hey, please tell me that you're working on a second book because I think we're getting a two book offer. And I said, yeah, totally. And I totally was not. <laughs> there was no way you were saying you weren't. Though. I mean, what was I going to say? She was like, well, just what doesn't just give me three or four sentences. And so I was like, can I get back to you? So Peter and I, I said, Peter, we went to a coffee shop and we brainstormed ideas and he helped me come up with the idea. Basically, we pitched it as uh, Tootsie meets Kinky Boots because basically it's about a guy who used to be a drag queen, doesn't do drag anymore, runs into an old crush of his who he just lusted after in college, but never got together with. And this guy is working at a bar that's failing. So the main guy comes up with this idea to reinvigorate it by doing this karaoke night. And one thing leads to another, and then he figures out he needs to host it because no one will also host it, and he needs to do it as his drag queen persona. But he doesn't want the guy to know that he's a drag queen because he's based his whole life after drag on rejecting femininity, rejecting what it means to be femme, and sort of adhering more closely to this 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 the, the the typical old gay construct of masculinity being superior to everything else 
And he does that. He did that to, to save himself really. But then he finds out that he's gone about it all wrong because he has to teach this other guy to do drag and starts to sort of fall in love with drag again. And then therefore also fall in love with himself. I promise you it's not a self-incestual story. But one thing leads to another. There's shenanigans. He has to try to figure out how to be in two places at once. There's a love triangle. You'll love it, I promise. It's not finished And you picked two movies that have been made into musicals. That's true. (laughs) That's true. I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. There will be a lot of music in this too. Trust me. Oh, good. Yeah. Any chance that we'll get another new original composition out of it? I don't know about that. That's the great thing about karaoke is it, it don't got to be an original. So true. True, true. Yeah. So the book's coming out in Pride Month. The interview's coming out in Pride Month. What does Pride mean to you in 2023? Gosh, I, yeah, it, to me, it's a tough time. I mean, and for me personally, it's centered around two things one is is trans trans rights and sort of the attack on drag right now and they're separate but there's there's a lot of interlap overlap as well and the other thing is as book bans the the bans on on especially bans on queer material and people of color authors and material and especially queer people of color material. So those two things are very hot for me, right? Not hot. That, that's weird. It's like, it's, it's, it's not a hot and happening thing. No, it's, they're very important to me right now. And that's sort of at the forefront of my mind. I, I'm actually on the employee, the gay LGBTQIA employee group at work. And sort of that's my focus there is right, for my theme of pride there is I don't know what the words would be, but like fighting back or something. Mm-hmm. We go through these cycles, right? Where some years we really celebrate when gay marriage was made made legal. And then there's some years where we're really fighting. And I I, I kind of feel like this is one of those years we're fighting. At least that's how I feel. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's hard not to need to take this moment as a stand up and resist and push back yeah. kind of year. Yeah. So that's 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 probably to me. So that maybe pride to me next year and pride to people next year, other people next year can be more joyous. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm fighting. Yeah, we got to fight to get the joy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we love to get book recommendations and what to watch recommendations. What have you been reading and watching lately that our listeners should check out? So, yeah, I got two good books for you. One is a great gay novel, actually, from a pub publishing buddy of mine. His name is Rod Polito, and he's coming. He's it's come out actually. Both of these books actually just came out the same day. I think it was last week. Rod Polito's book is called Chasing Pacquiao, and it's a YA book about a, a queer Filipino kid who's bullied and then finds a way to sort of empower himself by patterning himself after Manny Pacquiao. He's probably the most well-known Filipino personality, the boxer, and that but then finds out about his Manny Pacquiao's very anti-gay statements. And so there's this sort of reckoning about, I've become stronger because of this person, but this person is really not who I thought they were, which I think is fascinating. I haven't read it yet. I just got it. That's the thing about trying to meet deadlines is I don't have enough time to read all the books I want to read. It's unfortunate. (laughs) 
but I am going to read it. And the other book is by Sid Carger. It's called Best Men. And Sid is, he, he, he's primarily a screenwriter. He's writ, or for TV and he wrote for SNL and he wrote for like Comedy Central. And this is his first novel. It's called Best Men. And it is a rom-com. And it is, let me just say, I started reading it in bed at night next to my husband. And he was like, you have to, you have to leave because you keep laughing. Like, and I know you, you're trying to not laugh, but it's even worse because it's one of those, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, Sid is, I actually had to stop reading it because as I was writing my book, it sort of started to make me feel like, oh, I'm not funny like at all compared to Sid. It's just, he's got this humor that is just so sharp and it just, the jokes just keep coming. So it's, that's, that's a, that's a big recommendation for me for what to read, to watch. I, can I, can I say Broadway shows? I know not many people are going to be able to watch them, but cause so, so, so Peter and I, we, we try to go to New York. We didn't do in the pandemic, but we try to go to New York once a year to go see. And what we do is like, we go for three or four days and we watch like, a sh like one to two shows a day. So we can go for four days and watch like six shows and people think we're crazy, but it's like the most beautiful, amazing thing like you could ever possibly do. I don't know. Have you done that before? It's fantastic. Oh yeah. Pre-pandemic, we would go for like four or five days. We'd be there. We'd make sure to be there on a Wednesday yeah, and yeah. a Saturday, maybe oh, oh. a Sunday. Yeah. And just book every slot. Pack it <laughs> So in. I'm right there with you. Good. Good. So we did... <laughs> So we did that recently. Most recent visit, we saw the uh, revival of Sweeney Todd, which was fantastic. Josh Groban sings the shit out of that role. And and also, what's her name? The the woman that plays Mrs. Lovett. Emily uh, Ashford. That's it. Oh my God, she's amazing. It's like, it's one of those things where you think you'll never, you'll never get Angela Lansbury out of your head. And then you see her and you're like, it's a completely different role. She just takes it and just runs with it. And then we also saw parade which i don't know did you have you gotten a chance to see parade or i saw the original back in the day oh wow i have a ticket to see parade two weeks from now oh my god you're gonna so you're gonna look oh you're be prepared well I, the thing is you already know the whole show but i i went there with peter and then some friends of mine who didn't know really anything about it at all and most people it's funny most people think it's about like an Easter parade. Like they think it's like this fun comedy and it's the absolute it is not opposite. Not at all. <laughs> no, it's so it's, I don't want to say it's heavy, but it is very substantial. And mm -hmm. man, does it make you like after that, when we went to dinner, it was like a full hour of us talking about it. Cause you have to, like when you see something like that, you just have to get it out of your system. You have to talk it through. And that's what I love about theater or any arts really is that, when it really moves you, you just have to share it with somebody else because you, you, you can't contain it within yourself, right? Yeah, that's absolutely. what I love about stuff like this, like a podcast. Is just like you want you want to share it with someone, so you know it's out. You put it out there in the world. That's that's what I love about the arts. Yeah, yeah, I I can't wait to see Parade, yeah. uh, and I've heard some of the new cast recording. I've been trying not to take in too much of it to let it oh, kind yeah. of be in the moment, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. Mm -hmm. So what is the best way for folks to keep up with you online so they can follow what happens as this book comes out, but also when the new one gets ready to come out in 2024? Sure. The easiest is they can follow me on at my website at dominiclim.com. Although I 
I'm trying to keep it up to date, but you can also follow me on Twitter at J underscore Dominic underscore Lim. You know how like someone's already taken your name. It sucks. <laughs> so, and then Instagram, I'm doing a bunch of Instagram stuff now, J Dominic Lim. And I just started doing TikTok. Oh um, my. Yeah. Brave soul that you are. I, but you're a performer. You could do it. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying. I don't want to look like an idiot. Well, I think that's the whole point is you just need to look like an idiot on TikToks. And that's kind of what you, that's kind of what I did. So there's about five or six on there. And I, that is Dominic Lim underscore author. I managed to snag that. So you can follow me there as well. Excellent. We will link to all of that and everything we talked about in our show notes. Dominic, it's been so awesome talking to you about this amazing book. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jeff. I was, it was such an honor to be here and I'm, I'm so happy to get the chance to talk to you. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. We've got links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. And as a quick reminder, if you want to get book recommendations in your inbox every single Friday, you should sign up for the Rainbow Romance Reader Report. It's this podcast's official newsletter. We feature new releases and upcoming books to help keep your TBR up to date. And you can sign up at BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash report. Thanks so much to Dominic for coming and talking about all the right notes. You heard me go on in the interview about what I loved about this book, but hey, I have more to say. Right after the book came out earlier this month, I did in fact read it again because I had to hear Aaron Albano's performance since Dominic had talked about it in the interview. Aaron took Dominic's already amazing story and just brought all the right stuff to it. From the perfect voicing of Keto and Emmett, as teenagers and adults, just the right sass and attitude and compassion for Ujima, not to mention bringing out all the emotions. I already had so many feels when I read it, but I found even more through Aaron's performance. And the singing, mm, you don't get that often in audiobooks, and it was gorgeous. Of course, someone who has performed in Miss Saigon and Hamilton is going to sing great, and Aaron did not disappoint. Fun fact, we actually saw Aaron back in 2012 in Newsies when he was in the original Broadway cast. And I saw him again in 2016 in the Broadway revival of Cats. Anyway, as I said last week, and I'll say it again here, go read this book. And don't be surprised in December when this is at the top of my favorite reads list. Meanwhile, can't wait to see what Dominic writes next and what Aaron narrates next. All right, I think that'll do it for now. Coming up next Monday, dancer and now children's book author Mark Kamira joins us. Now, you may know Mark from season four of So You Think You Could Dance, or his many appearances in music videos, in particular from Lady Gaga, or his amazing Instagram feed where he kept us all dancing through the pandemic. Mark's just released a children's book called I Am a Rainbow, and we'll talk to him all about it. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kinds of stories we all love, the big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Original theme music by Daryl Banner. 